We finish up, Lord willing, our discussion on the Holy Spirit tonight. Um, speaking of uh, uh, speaking of you know pneumatology one hundred and one, <laughs> and tonight, what is my responsibility to the Holy Ghost? We've talked about who He is and what He does, and now tonight, with that information, we're going to ask ourselves. All right, what's our responsibility? This, this is really one big so what kind of message. Knowing who he is and what he does, what is my responsibility to the Holy Ghost? And so uh, we'll jump right into it and ask God's blessing. Uh, what I've done here is I've gone ahead and included the scriptures on your handout tonight because there's a lot of material, and so we can save a little time you know, and you don't have to take my word for it. All right, so let's pray. Father, would you help us now as we finish up these thoughts on your spirit? Would you uh, guide us and direct us and speak to us? Lord, we need a touch from you tonight. I know I do. And sometimes, Lord, when we come in in this midweek service, we're weary. And we're in need of that charge to get through the rest of the week. And I've seen you do some pretty unusual things on Wednesday nights. I ask for it again. Lord, would you uh, just have your way tonight, I pray. And in it, may Jesus be lifted up. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. What is my responsibility to the Holy Ghost? Because you understand when you are given information, when you are given knowledge, with that comes responsibility. There's been times that I've withheld information, maybe from my wife or from my kids, because I did not want them to have to bear responsibility for that information. There's been times I wish that I didn't have certain information because now I'm responsible for it. Well, we've spent the last two weeks getting some biblical information about the Holy Ghost, and that leads us to this. What is our responsibility? What's our so what? So we begin, first of all, what is my responsibility to the Holy Ghost? First of all, recognize Him. I'm going to step in this room. When the pulpit's not up here, I'm at a disadvantage. In the pulpit is a little trash can. And I have a thing that I do. I pop in a piece of gum just before the service. And I get rid of it while we're praying. But my trash can isn't up there. So, you say, well, just preach with it. If my mother found out I had chewing gum in my mouth during church she'd get a taxi and come over here. She's old school like that. There, I feel much better now and safer. See, why do I say recognize him? Because it is entirely possible for the Holy Ghost to be active in somebody's life and somebody not recognize it. Now, a lot of times we would say that about unsaved people. And we have here as an example, Paul. Paul, when he was Saul, was maybe the most religious man on the planet. Not saved, but religious. 
and the Holy Ghost was working in Paul's life all the way up into his salvation, and he didn't even know it. Now, why do I think that? Acts chapter 9, verse 3. And as Saul journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And and the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. This last phrase gives us a hint. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. What's he talking about? I believe he's talking about Holy Ghost conviction. I believe he's talking about the Holy Ghost has been working on him and working on him and working on him. And he's been kicking back because he did not realize what was going on. He didn't recognize the Holy Spirit at work. Now, this is complete conjecture on my part. So don't take it as doctrine. But I think I know when the Holy Spirit started working on him. In fervor anyway. It had to be as he stood there holding cloaks. And saw a man claim to see Jesus, high and lifted up, standing at the right hand of the Father, and then say, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge as they stoned him to death. And if that's not the case, it's a mighty good sanctified guess. But let's be honest. Have there been times in our lives, even after we've been saved, that the Holy Ghost has been at work and we didn't even recognize it? Yeah. Recognize him. Number two, appreciate him. You ever felt unappreciated? Yeah, you ever felt like, man, I've done this for this person or I've labored in this way and nobody really appreciates it? I don't know of an entity in, the, in, in all of the universe that's more underappreciated than the Holy Ghost of God. He is constantly working on our behalf. He is constantly doing things for, things for us. And how often do we go an entire day and not even think about him? I have picked out one example, one of many, okay? We've talked about it already, Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Every time you bow your head to pray, the Holy Spirit is at work. Do we appreciate the role that he plays in our prayer life? Do we appreciate how he's led us? Do we appreciate how he's taught us? Do we appreciate how he's guided us? Do we appreciate how he's convicted us at times? Do we appreciate these things? Can I remind you, it's the Holy Ghost that introduced you to Jesus. We should appreciate him, shouldn't we? Our responsibility to the Holy Ghost, number one, is to recognize him. Number two is to appreciate him. And then number three, follow him. Now, there's two venues in which we do that. First of all, in the matter of your salvation. If you came to Jesus, it's because you followed the Holy Ghost to him. How do I know that? Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by who? Spirit of God. They are the sons of God. Who led you to Jesus? Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit. So if you're saved tonight, thank the Lord you followed him. There's an old term for that. It's called the wooing of the Spirit. The wooing of the Spirit. Number two, we follow him in the matter of our service. In the matter of our service, once you are saved, you follow his leadership. 
We go all the way back to the Old Testament, Psalm 143, verse 10. David says, teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. And what's his spirit doing? Lead me into the land of uprightness. Thy spirit leads me into doing what's right. Who led Jesus in his life? His spirit did. Luke 4, verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan. This is right after he was baptized. Returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, a little side point here. This isn't in your notes. But just because you find yourself in a negative circumstance doesn't mean God didn't lead you there. He's about to go in the wilderness to be what? Tempted. 40 days. It's, it's, it's going to be a brutal experience. Who led him there? The Spirit did. And sometimes we find ourselves in negative circumstances. God didn't have anything to do with this. You might be surprised. Again, the psalmist said, It's good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn those statutes. Sometimes rough, a rough path is exactly what we need. Jesus said in John 16, verse 13, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He will guide you into truth. Do you need truth to serve him? Yes, you do. Galatians 5, verse 17, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. If you want to serve God faithfully, you've got to have the Spirit of God leading you. So we're to recognize Him, we're to appreciate Him, we're to follow Him both in the matter of salvation and in service, and then next, we're to submit to Him. You could put obey Him if you wanted. Submit or obey Him. Submit to or obey Him. Again, This, this, we find this in two venues. First of all, those that are unsaved, those that are lost. Those that are lost should submit to him. Acts chapter 7, speaking to the Jewish leadership that were clearly unsaved, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always what? Resist the Holy Ghost. If you're here today and you're lost, it's not because the Holy Ghost doesn't want you and it's not because He won't call you. It's because you've resisted Him. You've been disobedient. You mean salvation is a command? The Bible says God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. It's a command. It is God's expectation. But what about those of us that are saved? We are to submit to, we are to obey the Spirit, first of all, in our actions Acts chapter 8, verse 26, Philip is in the middle of a great revival in Samaria. I mean a good one. I mean, it's it's getting after it. And then God calls Philip away from that revival. A revival where multitudes are being saved and lives are being changed, and God moves Philip to where? The desert. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. 
And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go to the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia and eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. We know that he was reading Isaiah 53. Or what we now know as Isaiah 53. Now listen to this. Verse 29, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And watch this. And Philip ran thither to him. He wasn't just immediate in his obedience. He ran. And that is exactly how our actions as Christians ought to be. Our actions ought to reflect people that immediately and as fast as we can obey the promptings of the Holy Ghost of God. Now, why do we struggle with that? Why do we struggle with that in our actions? I'll tell you why. Because it starts with our attitude. It starts with our attitude. We've heard this verse many times. Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I don't mean to glorify being drunk with alcohol, but Paul uses this analogy, and we should follow this analogy. If somebody's drunk with alcohol, is that something that influences their attitude? You better believe it. You see... Getting drunk doesn't change your actions, it changes your attitude and that impacts your actions, right? Well, if you're filled with the Spirit and you're under the influence of the Spirit and you're following Him, you're submitting to Him, you're obeying Him, what that's going to do is that's going to change your attitude which is going to find its way to your actions. And when we try to, when we try to make our actions line up with God and, and don't mess with our attitude, we're going to be frustrated and we're going to be failures all the time. It starts here. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. So recognize him, appreciate him, follow him both in salvation and service, submit to or obey Him, the lost and the saved, in our actions and our attitudes. Then number five, be honest with Him. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Ananias and Sapphira, which by the way, I believe both of them were saved people. I believe they were saved. Do saved people make terrible mistakes? Yes, they do. And these two did, and it cost them their lives. I believe when we get to heaven, we'll meet Ananias and Sapphira, but they'll tell you, yeah, I got here a little early. They sold some property. A lot of people connect this to Barnabas. When Barnabas sold his property, and, and people think, oh, people must, oh, Barnabas, you son of consolation, what a wonderful man you are. And a lot of people connect it with that. I don't know if it's connected or not, but they decided that they wanted to sell some property for a certain amount, and they were going to say that they gave that entire amount to the church. They're going to hold back a little bit, but they were going to lie and say they gave the whole thing. Would it have been wrong for them to give, let's say, half and keep half? No, that wouldn't have been wrong. The wrong was in the lie. The wrong was in the lie. 
They lied to Peter. They lied to the church. But worst of all, who did they lie to? The Holy Ghost. Acts 5.3, but Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Now, we look at something like this and we're like, whoo, I'm glad I'm not like Ananias and Sapphira. I don't lie to the Holy Ghost. We lie to the Holy Ghost all the time. Don't we? How many times do we sing a hymn and lie? We've talked about this before. What if we just had a service where we sang truthful hymns? What do you mean truthful hymns? Some to Jesus I surrender, some to him I reluctantly give. I will somewhat love and trust him, in his presence mostly live. I surrender some. Doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? But it's probably more truthful for us, usually. We ought to mean what we sing, we ought to mean what we pray. You ever try to fool God when you pray? It doesn't do a bit of good. <sighs> I'm always intrigued by preachers that have preacher voices. I don't just mean in the pulpit, I mean when they see you in public. You see, I, I speak differently from behind the pulpit than I do in, in general conversation. That's natural. But it usually doesn't find its way into my daily life. If you, if you see me at you know, Food Line or something... Hey, preacher, how you doing? Let me tell you something, brother. I'm doing great. God, I don't, but, you know, there's some preachers do that. And I wonder, do they really do that at home? Honey, would you mind taking out the trash? Well, wife, let me tell you, God's been good to us to have all this trash we can put in. And I'm so glad. Come on. No. Oh, son, would you pass the biscuits? Just. But sometimes when we pray... Oh, God in heaven, almighty creator of the universe. And there's no wrong in saying that that's true. But sometimes what God expects to hear is, Lord, I'm hurting tonight. I'm broken tonight. I got to be honest with you, Lord, I was a little mad at you about this, and I'm sorry, that was wrong of me. Maybe he just wants you to talk to him like a regular person, the regular person that he saved. Be honest. Be honest. Hey, when the Holy Ghost hits you about some sin that's in your life, be honest. Now, these next two are connected. What responsibilities do we have to the Holy Ghost? Recognize Him, appreciate Him, follow Him, submit to Him, be honest with Him, and then work for Him. Work for him. Yeah, I started my own business so I could be my own boss. I don't answer to anybody. I got news for you. That wouldn't be true without the Holy Ghost. If you have a spouse, you answer to your spouse. You answer to the government. Every April, you answer to the IRS. We always answer to somebody. But if you're saved, I got news for you. You work for the Holy Ghost. He is your immediate supervisor. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. 
There are diversities of gift with the same spirit. There are differences of administrations with the same Lord. The diversities of operations with the same God which worketh all in all. We're talking about spiritual gifts, and we understand some of these gifts have changed over the course of the church age, but, but the, the principle is still there, the principle that we see here in verse number 11. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally or individually as he will. If the Holy Ghost of God endows you with certain spiritual gifts, is it too much of a leap to determine that He intends for you to use those gifts to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ in the service of God? We work for Him. Now, we know from Scripture that everybody in here who's saved has at least one spiritual gift. Okay, But here's the reality. Sometimes we have a hard time operating that gift correctly. In fact, the whole book of 1 Corinthians is about that kind of thing. A whole church was messing up in the matter of their spiritual gifts. A whole church. So what's the problem? We can't begin to adequately work for him if we have not learned the importance of working in him. Now, what do I mean by that? Romans 8, verse 1. It's there on your paper. There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Boy, isn't that great. No condemnation. We, have, we, can, we can fear a lot of things, but we need not fear hell. Chastening, sure. That can come to a Christian. Condemnation, no longer on the table. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh. This is what's indicative of somebody that's truly saved. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the things after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now what in the world are we talking about? here. How many Christians try to work for the Holy Spirit while living in their flesh? Doesn't work. The only way that you can work for the Spirit is to learn how to work in the Spirit. What do I mean by that? In His power and in His influence and in His guidance. Well, Andy, can you give me one example of somebody working in the Spirit. I can. You've already seen it on your paper. Go back to go back to uh, letter C, number two. It says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That was his job for that moment. But what, where did that start? Verse number 1, And Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost. I want to be super careful about how I say this because I don't want to give you the wrong impression. 
Jesus is as much God as the Holy Spirit or the Father. And, 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 and I can't explain to you the Trinity. There's no, there's no analogy that does it justice. I don't want to get into modalism and all that foolishness. I'm just saying there's, there's one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. I have to take it by faith because I can't process it. But here's what I know. God the Son operated in the power of God the Spirit. And if God the Son relied on this power of God the Spirit to do what needed to be done, how much more should we, who are not God, operate in the Spirit of God? So work for Him, but also work in Him. Now this next one, you've got to let me explain it. And I probably could have come up with a better word, but I, I just didn't. Okay. My knowledge of the English language failed me. Next one. Maintain him. Now, what in the world do I mean by maintain him? Well, if we were to go camping... And it's a cold night. I mean camping, y'all, not glamping. All right? We're not in a $150,000 RV. Okay? We are camping. If you come back from camping and feel rested, you didn't do it right. That's the way I see it anyway. Laying on the ground. And it's cold. And so it's imperative that you have a fire. That fire gets off started, great. But what do you have to do throughout the night? You've got to maintain it. That means the area has to be right. You've got to keep it dry. You've got to keep it fueled. You've got to keep the conditions right for that fire to do all that it can do for you. And what happens with Christians? We got the Holy Spirit. But we're sometimes not careful to keep our lives in the right condition for the Holy Spirit to do what he's meant to do. And that's exactly what Paul means when he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, quench not the Spirit. What's quench mean? To let it extinguish. Now, he's not saying the Holy Spirit is going to, going to extinguish. Obviously not. He's eternal. But his influence and his power in your life absolutely can get quenched. So I have a responsibility to maintain the conditions of my life to where the Holy Spirit can work. Now, here's the next one. The next one is the most unbaptist thing that I'm going to say tonight. Okay. Recognize him, appreciate him, follow him, submit to him, uh, be honest with him, work for him, work in him, maintain him. Here we go. Enjoy him. Well, he's not here for our enjoyment. Not specifically, but that doesn't mean God doesn't intend that we enjoy the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
Jesus had a great, day to, great deal to say about joy, right? The abundant life. I realize we're living in a sin-sick world that is getting progressively worse. I realize that, that God is holy and righteous, and we need to take the things of God seriously. But nowhere does that change the fact that God intends for us to enjoy life as much as we can. Not to the exclusion of good things, but because of those good things. And let's be honest. Sometimes we don't mean to, but we give, we give the world the impression that getting saved was the worst thing that ever happened to us. I am saved. I am on my way to heaven. I am sanctified. These things aren't in my life, and these things are in my life, and I'm resenting every minute of it. Enjoy him. Now, there are times that the Holy Spirit has been at work in my life, and it has caused me to cry. It's caused me to just be fearful. But there's also been some times, and you've been there too, that the Holy Spirit has gone to work in our lives, and you enjoy it. It's not without its trials and tribulations, but can I just tell you, I'm enjoying what God's doing in our church right now. I'm enjoying it. I hope I don't give you the wrong impression that I dread what I do and hate what I do, but the last few weeks, I look forward to church in a way that I haven't in a long time. doesn't mean I don't look forward to it other times, but just lately it's just ramped up a notch or two. I'm excited about what God's going to do. Enjoy Him. Let me give you some scripture. Luke 10, 21. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced where? In spirit. He enjoyed the work of His Spirit. Luke 1, 41. It came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary... The babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe in my womb, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. What a sad commentary it is on Christians that an unborn baby can get happier in the spirit than some of us. Was that really what that means? That's exactly what that means. They have proven over and again that unborn babies respond to stimuli. Of course they do. And now you've got Elizabeth filled with the Holy Ghost and John the Baptist is having a time. Here's one for you. Now, the last word that I read in this verse, you tell me if this sounds like a joyful thing or a drudgery. You tell me. 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now, the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Does liberty sound like a drudgery to you, or does it sound like something that brings about joy? Liberty! Recognize him, appreciate him, follow him, submit to him. Be honest with him, work for him. 
work in him, maintain him, enjoy him, and then finally, encourage him. How often do we say, God bless us, and yet what's the psalmist say? Bless the Lord, O my soul. I'm thankful when he encourages me, but shouldn't we encourage him too? You can be an encouragement to the Holy Ghost. Did you know that? Now, the way we're going to get this is by looking at the converse of what the verse says. Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away with you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So if Paul's telling the Ephesians that corrupt communication... Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking grieves the Holy Spirit. Then would it not also be true that the opposite of that would encourage the Holy Spirit? And he gives us that last verse. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ for God's sake, uh, even God for Christ's sake rather, hath forgiven you. Do you think that if we treat one another the way we ought to, that would encourage the Holy Ghost? Yeah. Yeah. I have a responsibility to recognize him, to appreciate him, to follow him, to submit to him, to be honest with him, to work for him, to work in him, to maintain him, to enjoy him, and to encourage him. It is my prayer that we are more mindful now, after the last three weeks, we are more mindful of just how vital the Holy Spirit is in our lives, and that we don't just gloss over him, but we see him for what he is, active in our lives every moment of every day. Because if we want to see revival, and I do, if we want to see the miraculous happen, if we want to see that family life center built, if we want to see people get victory, it will not happen without the working of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, that's, that's it. That's all that's on your sheet. Let me give you one other thing. It's kind of a review from our study in Mark. Go to Matthew chapter 12. I do want to cover this because it is a pretty important passage regarding the Holy Spirit. This passage deals with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Some people call it the unpardonable sin. That's unfortunate because those are two different things. Two different things. Now, there's a lot to be said about this and... Just because I'm finishing up early doesn't mean I'm going to wax on and on and on about it. I'm going to give you some real quick bullet points about it in case it's something that's been on your heart or on the heart of somebody you love. Matthew 12, verse 22. Then was brought unto Jesus one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. All the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts 
and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Boy, that was a hit right there. Okay, if I'm using Satan's power to cast out, but what about your exorcists? What are they using? How are they doing it? Good question. Okay. Um, go down to verse 31. Wherefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. This passage strikes fear in the hearts of a lot of people who are terrified that at some point, maybe even inadvertently, they've blasphemed the Holy Spirit and they are damned. Let me begin with just a, just a quick truth here. Based on what we understand about this, if you're concerned that you have committed this sin, you have not. I'll elaborate on that real quick. There's two basic schools of thought about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The first is this, that Jesus is speaking to a specific group of people at a specific time for a specific sin. And that because of that, it's no longer possible to commit this sin. Now, in all candor, that's about where I fall. I think that this is meant for those Jews in that time period that are rejecting him and that are ascribing his works and the works of his spirit to the works of Satan. And that they have rendered themselves unforgivable. Now, now this is an important point to make here. It's not that God is saying he won't forgive. He's saying you are moving yourself out of range for forgiveness. The character of God is to forgive. But you have moved yourself away from my forgiveness. This is on them, not God. Okay. So the first school of thought is that it's, you know, is that it, it can't be committed today. And that, that's pretty much where I fall. But if there's a way to do it today, based on my study, it would, be, it would be characterized by the reprobate mind of Romans 1. These people whose minds and hearts are so void of judgment that they can't, the Holy Spirit can't speak to them anymore. And that does happen. That does happen. Now, do I have the ability of the wherewithal to say that person's of a reprobate mind? No, I do not. I'll be candid with you. There's some people that do some things that I'm pretty sure they probably are. But I can't make that determination. Because the vastness and wideness of God's mercy is beyond anything that I can comprehend. And that the Bible is clear on. In short, I believe the only unforgivable sin is the ultimate failure to ever receive Christ to the point of your death. And if you die in your sins, then by your own hand, they were unforgiven. Because once again, a great, a great principle of, of proper Bible interpretation is if the majority of Scripture seems to say one thing, and a couple of verses seem to say something else, you go with the majority and figure out the small one. 
What does the majority of Scripture teach us about the forgiveness of sin? If you confess her, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who shall separate us from the love of God? The vast majority of Scripture teaches that God's grace is bigger than our sin. Where sin abounded, grace does what? Much more abounds. You know. Would you agree with me that somebody who blasphemed the Holy Spirit in the day of Jesus, that's a pretty bad thing. But what did Paul say about himself? This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief. I'm worse than those guys. Did Paul get forgiveness? He sure did. So the long and the short of it is this, and we can talk about this much longer at another time. If you're worried you've committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, you haven't. And don't be prideful about that. Keep short accounts with God. If there's sin in your life, confess it. Give it over to Him, let Him cleanse it, and move forward for God. Right? Okay. Well, that ends our study of uh, Pneumatology 101. Is there a 102? Not anytime soon. In fact, that may just shock you all and get back into Mark next week. We'll see.